Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message from one of our pastors, Jim Walsh. One of the things, I, I say this many, many times, that you know, whenever, and you just kind of need to know this as a believer, whenever if the Lord ever gives a, a message to a pastor, typically it's because it's not so much like, oh yeah, I got a message. It's usually because you have ears to hear. There's probably faith in this room to hear this. So there'd be no reason for him to download his word in a message that has no intentions of going on to ears that don't have faith and ears to hear. So I commend you this morning that in this church right here represented in this room are people who have ears to hear. So go ahead and pat your neighbor on the back. Say, yeah, thanks for ears to hear. You know, that's, that's great. But have you ever had one of those moments where you say, and, and you play this little game. I play this game every once in a while, and, and it's, it never ends well. It just it starts off with, wouldn't it be great if? You ever do that? Husbands and wives do that. Wouldn't it be great if my husband, wouldn't it be great if my wife, parents, you do that. Wouldn't it be great if our kids would just... Wouldn't it be great if my boss, does anybody play that game or is that just me? Wouldn't it be great if this message had a point? <laughs> right. But I, I'm going to tell you, honestly, I did come into this moment with a wouldn't it be great, kind of like the I have a dream kind of a, a feeling. And that is, you know, wouldn't it be great as today, as we push in and talk about and continue our series on better together, I'm talking about Jesus in every generation. And so um, I, I'll be honest uh, as Pastor and I discussed this several weeks, months ago, I kind of went, ah. So I'm going to just be honest. I, I had to really lean into it. Say, Lord, I don't know. What are you, what, you know, I don't even know where to begin. What do you say to every generation? I mean, so, you know, it's just really, and it took me a while, but now I'm just, I mean, and all of a sudden this statement came out of that. And then I go, okay, Lord, I'm ready. Show me what you want to say. But I had this, wouldn't it be great today if, that this church family could just pause and reflect today and truly celebrate the beauty and the strengths of each generation in this room. And that so that our work in the kingdom of God would just be multiplied powerful. Wow. And so, wouldn't it be great if instead of making each other aware of all of our generational gaps and differences that we could find the place of truth that exists between us and have a beautiful conversation with each other. Wouldn't it be great if we could just selflessly set aside our preferences or experiences and allow the eyes of love to open up a prophetic glimpse into every generation so that we can speak the word of God for each. So that's where we're going today. If we can get to that, then it's mic drop, I'll walk away. If, actually, if you got it, I'm done. Let's just go home early. But I, first of all, I mean, so, you know, so there, there is that in me. I really, but like I said, I think that if the Lord gave that to me, that means that I believe that that's in some of you too. I think some of you probably that resonates with you when you hear that. Yes. And that means if he's going to do that too, then he also will give us the grace and the strength to be able to, to live that out obediently. Otherwise, this can I just say, otherwise, I'm just giving you information. I don't want to just do information today. I really want our hearts to hear something that transforms us and makes us a church that reflects more of the glory of God. Amen. So, so to do that, I want to just go ahead and what I, I need to start with is just a, a biblical um, survey of generations 
and then kind of dive into some things. And we're going to take a look at everybody in this room. We're going to talk about you. So that's kind of fun. I'm going to talk about you today. Everybody's favorite subject, right? No, just kidding. But let me just say, God has a multi-generational plan. And it started in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 to 28. It said, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So you see from the very beginning that God had, before there was ever church or government or schools or education or anything else, God put a man and a woman together in holy matrimony for the purpose of procreating a race that would take their values and influence the entire world. That's why he did that. So God determined that that dominion would start with marriage. And so this, and so if you didn't hear pastor's uh, message, and so insert that message right here, the power and, and, and the purpose of God behind marriage. So if you didn't get in on that, go back and listen to that. Then you go over to chapter two, verse four, it says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth in which when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So right here we see that the Bible is summarized as a book of generations. And so you can't even begin to really understand the plan of God and even interpret scripture without first understanding the plan of God, how it unfolds a generation at a time. It's really interesting that more of God was revealed as each generation came along. It's really powerful. And, in, and you can read this on your own, but you get over to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and you're going to hear the whole story of the fall of man when Satan came in. And what did he try to do? He tried to destroy the family unit. If we can just bust this thing from the very beginning, then, then the knowledge and the revelation and the spread of God's purpose and plan from gener- generation to generation is over. Go over to chapter 3, verse 15. That's why it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So this is the picture that, you know, of all human history, that after the fall, it can be summarized in this right here, is just this epic battle for supremacy between the seed of the serpent and the seed of woman. So from the very beginning here, from the very start, what we have is this, by nature, this spiritual warfare, uh, generational warfare, between multi-generation children of light and the children of darkness. It's just, it's just been that clash from the very beginning. Go over to chapter 12. Thank you. I'll add that to this collection. <laughs> I know. I, you guys are feeling my pain, aren't you? I'm fine. I, I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'm just kidding. Go over to chapter 12. Thank you. Miranda, I appreciate that. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your children and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God was going to use Abraham to do what? To retake for himself with a generation plan that would redeem families. That's what he was doing through Abraham. Look, go, even go down another, go to, to the end here, or go to chapter 22. I will, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as of the sand and the seashore and your, offer, and your offspring shall possess the gates of the enemy. 
So that's the way that he was going to take back the gates of the enemy was by this multi-generational plan. Right? So you see that. You get over, and, and if you can check this out on your own, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, was the first time that God revealed himself as the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. So you, you start to see that God was revealing him and his nature generationally. Do you see that? It's kind of cool. And, and all of a sudden, you learn a little bit more about God's redemptive character and his plan and his nature generation to generation. You get in Exodus chapter 4, it's kind of interesting. In chapter 4, verse 24 through 26, there's an account here where uh, in spite of being chosen to deliver the people of Israel, Moses nearly lost his life because he didn't circumcise his son and bring him into covenant. You can just kind of read that and go, wow. That's, but, the, but the thing is, why? Because leaders are of no use to the purpose of God if they don't pass on their faith and, their, and honor to the next generation. I mean, that's the, I mean, not that God's going to wipe any of you out, but you're no good to God if you don't have the intention to pass on faith to the next generation. So that's why we're here. That's, why you were, that's one of the reasons why we're here is to declare the glory of God to the next generation. Which brings us to Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8, which is our text this morning. So go ahead and stand with me as we read our text together. You wouldn't know what to do. You're all conditioned. You don't know, you know, you have to stand when we read this, right? Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and yet arise and tell them to their children so they should set their hope in God. You see that? And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Lord bless his word. You can be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of the Lord. So because Israel failed to keep covenant through their children, that they were rejected by God. That's why they were rejected by God, because they failed to keep that covenant and pass it down. So this psalm shows the history of Israel for four generations. And it's the strongest passage in the Bible, emphasizing the need to keep our children in the faith to fulfill the plan of God on the earth. So that's a powerful text. And then you skip clear to the end of the Old Testament and you get in the book of Malachi verse, chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. And it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And what's he going to do? He's going to turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. It was God's desire to break the curse on the earth by returning the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. He wanted to release a fathering anointed of raising up sons and daughters of the kingdom. And you can't ignore the fact that the fullness of the, of the time of the, for the Messiah to come was based on the curse of fatherlessness being broken on the earth. It's just, it's, it's, it's interesting when you see the plan of God in, in, in generations. So the church is called to, to break that spirit of fatherlessness. 
And, what, and so I, can I just tell you something personal? Not anywhere, but just as I was just thinking on this, I realized in 1982 or so, 83, sorry, was when I really got a call. I knew that God had a call on my life, but it was in 1983 when I was, I came back, excuse me, it was 1984, I take that back, 1984, I came back to meet Robin's family before we got married. And it was in, I was, there was a moment where I knew that God had called me into youth ministry. And I, I served in youth ministry for 25 years. And I realized that one of the biggest reasons was that I grew, I came out of a very fatherless situation. I had a father, but he was, he was, yeah, we won't even go into all that. And I realized that the, 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 one of the biggest reasons the Lord called me into youth ministry was for that reason right there is to break the spirit of fatherlessness. And it's powerful. Because God, you know, and so, and, and I want to be one of those who's fighting for biblical marriage and fighting for families and fighting for, for that. We need that. Amen. So it's the call of the church to release that spirit of sonship onto the earth by reconciling people to God. So all that to say, that's just a kind of a biblical stroll there a little bit to kind of see a little bit of an idea of what the word of God says about generations. I mean, think about it. There's over 7 billion people on the planet right now, and half of them are under the age of 30. In, in the United States, we have four to, different, four to five generations currently working in the workforce and in the church. And so, and, and I know that, you know, and, and which brings its own challenges and opportunities. And the truth is, every new generation seems to get a label and certain ter- stereotypes. Some of them are, some of them are true and some are false. Yeah, and yes, there are differences in generations. We get that. There might be perceived gaps, but like it or not, we're turning over the leadership of our nation in this church to the younger generation. <laughs> so, and, and you'll, you get a sense that this rhetoric has been in the Bible for a while. And if you remember one of the things that Paul told Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. So the implication there was there's a lot of people who say, well, you know, those young'uns, dumber in a box of hammers, you know. I'm not going to give them the keys of the car. They don't know nothing. You know, the, you know, that rhetoric has been around for a while. Some of you have said those kinds of things. But you look across the whole of the, of the Bible, and you'll find that there's a lot more positive things said about young people than negative. I mean, you, you, have, you have Joseph, 17, called, you know, to do a huge thing for the kingdom of God. You got Esther, came in and saved the Jewish race. Right? You've got um, Jeremiah who was a young man. Your disciples were young when they were called. And, and yeah, yeah there's, there's great stories in there about like, guys like Rehoboam. Yeah, he was interesting, King Rehoboam. And he, here's, here's, when he takes over, he gets the keys to the kingdom. It's finally his deal. Here's what he says to everybody. My father made your yoke heavy, but I'll add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, but I'll discipline you with scorpions. Yeah. I don't think that's a good leadership model. I'm just going to tell you, don't do that. Because the truth, here's what happened. He listened to the counsel of the younger instead of the older. That's why he got in that mess. Cost him. It was a, bad, it was a train wreck. His kingdom was a train wreck. So, so the truth is, we can't be afraid to hand over the church and, and leadership just because there's Rehoboams. There's always going to be those. Always going to be that. But the Lord's calling us to engage and win the hearts of each other and, and, and the generations. 
around us, leading people in various generations doesn't mean that we pit one another, pit each, you know, against one another. We have to learn to leverage the uniqueness of each generation so that church can be all that it can be. There's things, and we're going to look at this here in just a second, there's things that each generation has learned and taken about the nature and the character of God that the other generations didn't get. So we need to hear those things. And so we're all unique. Every, every one of us is unique, but every generation is unique. So we have to recognize those patterns and they can help us to know how to engage one another. So I want to just kind of do a little bit of a survey through some of the different generations represented in this room for the, for the purpose of, Lord, show us the beauty. Show us, what, show us the uniqueness of those so that we can stay in and have beautiful conversations with one another. That's, that's my hope. So let's just talk about the builder generation, for instance, okay? The, the, the builders are those who are born between 1929 and 1945. Any of you, you want to wave? Anybody in the room between 1929 and 1945? Yeah, that's great. Awesome. The builder generation, also kind of known as the silent generation, that was first kind of documented in, a, in an article from Time in 1951. They kind of labeled them the silent generation, um, mostly because... <laughs> Uh, of the difficult time that they were born in. They were born into adversity. They were born into the Great Depression, the Dust Bowl, I mean, economic and political disaster, World War II. I mean, the, circ the circumstances surrounding their upbringing was anything uh, but wonderful. It, it developed in them a very cautious and conscientious behavior because of that. So, you know, the oldest, the oldest members of that generation were born at or around the, the Great Depression. And they were children of World War II, and they grew up in the 50s and the 60s. And so a lot of times there's a, there's a lower birth rate in, the, in that builder's generation, mostly because people were just very cautious about even starting a family because there was too many mouths to feed. Builders are thrifty. <laughs> they lived at a time because of the war and economic uncertainty. Some of their parents could barely afford to feed them, right? So they, they were very thrifty people. They were very respectful. Most people in this generation have, or have deep respect for authority. They worked in the same job for most of them for their entire life. So there's just this deep sense of respect. Builders are loyal. They're loyal to their careers. They're loyal to their religious beliefs, to their families, to relationships. They value stability. And, the, the, and, light, and so because of that, they're probably the most stable and dependable people on the planet are your builders. Truly. They're determined. They have to be determined because they grew up in very, very difficult times. And so that required grit and strength and a strong sense of determination, a.k.a. John Wayne, right? That's why they like John Wayne. They say, yeah, that's what it takes right there. People in the United States during the builder generation, they feared communist spies and communist sympathizers. And so kind of, they kind of developed that head down kind of look, just keep your head down. But they weren't all silent. Some of the people that came out of that silent generation was Martin Luther King Jr., born 1929. Powerful things that he led our nation in. Um, so the civil rights came out of that. You have the Little Rock Nine students who were born during 1940 to 42 who really brought, um, in, you know, uh, were some of the first to integrate schools. So the members of the silent generation were incredibly influential and inspiring. That's, if there's so, let me just say this. One of the hardest things about putting a, any kind of a bio to all these generations is, is there's just no way I can capture it all. 
I, I, we could go around the room and you could all kind of say your piece to that. And I understand that. I'm just trying to give a little bit of a picture. Let's talk about the boomers. Those that are born 1946 to 1964. Where are you at? I got a few of those. They're okay. Oh, I guess I'm a boomer. <laughs> I hear that from my son every once in a while when he says, okay, boomer. I take that to mean something not so nice. But the boom refers to its size. This generation experienced one of the most incredible increases in wealth in just one generation. Mostly because the builder generation says, we want our kids to have a better life than we did. We grew up without electricity and dirt floors. We don't want that for our kids. And so, you know, so they came along in a time when the economic promise in America was at its fullness. So there's an increase in cynicism during this time because there was a lot going on during the 60s and 70s. The Cold War was a real <laughs> and present danger. I remember, I remember it, there, all the movies that were out about how that any time somebody could push the button and there would be global thermonuclear war. You know, it was all that one, the big red button, you know. And you just kind of had this sense in you that somebody was going to go over and push the button and this whole thing was going to go up in smoke. But that's kind of how we grew up, you know, during the Cold War time. And, but it also... Uh, during this time, the boomer generation, it kind of uh, ignited, uh, because of everything that was going on, it, invite, it ignited the sexual revolution. And helped by what I'm going to say, uh, here's something really interesting as I looked at this, birth control. Because this is, um, it's a lot more important than we think, because what happened was when a couple had sex before birth control, babies were the normal result. Right? But all of a sudden, you can be freed from the reality of childbearing. And so because of that, it revolutionized sexual practice. And not in a biblical direction, I might add. And so a lot of, there's a lot of sociologists believe that the birth control was the most important technological advancement of our millennia. Because what happened was it changed women's roles in a home. It changed people's perception of sexuality. It created a pathway to sexual practice that before was not there. There's an increased level of promiscuity. And so baby boomers came along and they changed the sexual norms in America. Right? And then there, there's a guy named Dr. Spock. You may remember his book. Oh, that's a great book. Really kind of introduced this permissive parenting idea, which was a radical departure from the previous generation. He talked about, you know, he just really introduced this whole permissive parenting thing. And woo, it sent some shockwave. And then there's television. Ah, television for baby boomers. There was two knobs on our TV. Remote control just meant you scooted closer to the TV. That's what a remote control was. You know? I remember if you got really good at it, you could change the knob with your toes. But there, there's two knobs. The top one, you can get ABC and NBC. And then there's the one underneath it. You went to the U. And you took the little antennas. And you moved them around. And sometimes you get a picture. If that didn't work, you'd wrap those dudes in foil? Yeah. You might get some lame old channel. But do you guys remember that at the end of the day, everything would, the, the screen would sign off and it would be this fuzzy little screen? I mean, it actually, TV shut down at the end of the day. It was interesting. Boomers are workaholics. They like long weeks and overtime. They're considered good team players. They like structure and discipline. They're less inclined to welcome change. Boomers are competitive. They need recognition and rewards to keep them motivated to keep going. They're regarded as one of the least tech savvy of all generations. 
<laughs> and all the younger generations say, yeah. <laughs> Boomers kind of came into this early stages of technology and innovation, uh, and, and, and it had an influence on the church. Uh, Boomer pastors and ministry leaders brought this revolution, uh, a lot of revolution uh, uh, ideas to church growth. That's when that was the rise of mega churches and multi-sites, you know, and the, the contemporary worship things. And there's just, but there was just entrepreneurial spirit that kind of paved the way to other approaches to church life. It was like this was church life forever. And all of a sudden, wait a minute, what's this that we're doing all of a sudden now? And that, that was the boomers. Gen Xers, you were born from 65 to 81. Where are you at? We got any Gen Xers in here? Oh, yeah. All right. Some of you clap. That's okay to clap. Gen Xers. There we go. MTV, punk rock, BMX bikes, the Great Recession. Yeah, baby. Feels like Atari game systems, whatever that was. But this generation probably enjoyed the least amount of prosperity than any other generation. One of the phen phenomenons of this generation was latchkey kids. Um, most parents today wouldn't let their kids go to the bus stop alone, let alone put a key around their neck and say, I'll see you at home in a couple hours after school. That's what latchkey kids were. They just found their way home, let themselves in, took care of themselves until mom and dad got home because most uh, homes in this time, mom and dad both worked. And, and, you know, and there was a lot of, there was a lot of talk during that time, all oh, these kids, oh, this is going to be the downfall. But you know what? We, we, how, many, how many Gen Xers actually are okay? You're normal today, even though you were a latchkey kid. See, you're all okay. Some of you are like, I don't know if I want to raise my hand. I'm not normal. I messed up. You know, the rise of cable TV. Stations like MTV and ESPN came along, 24-hour news came on, you know, and March Madness and all this stuff. All of a sudden, now you can find it everywhere. Do you remember when CNN came on? It was a voice of James Earl Jones. Remember what it sounded like? Come on, go ahead and do it. This is CNN. Yeah, you guys know. All that stuff. Um, so this is the first generation that really was fully attached to computers. Uh, Gen Xers don't really know what it's like to sit down at an actual keyboard that a, a typewriter that actually make. They're like, what's that? They, they grew up with PCs. But Gen Xers are independent and they're skeptical, they're cynical, they're pragmatic, they're impatient. They like casual business clothes, so thank you for that. <laughs> you know, more, no more shirt and ties, thanks to the Gen Xers. We appreciate that a bunch. Um, but they also brought in a level of missions to the church that was really amazing very mission-minded people. The majority of organizations, 70% of the organizations today believe that Gen Xers are the best overall workers. So there you go, pat yourself on the back, Gen Xers. You guys are awesome. They're committed, they're very good at committing and juggling work and family time. They're the biggest gen revenue generators overall. They're usually the ones to ask questions. And so... You know, there's, there's a lot to the Gen Xers. There's just so much that we can say to Gen Xers. Let's talk about the millennials for a second. I got to really cruise through this. There's a lot of information. Millennials, you were born 1981 to 1996. Where are you at? Oh, wow. They're vocal too. This is the most studied and talked about and dissected generation in history. 
Some people are there praised as the next great generation some, in some evangelical circles. It all just depends on who you talk to. But they're also kind of called the missionary generation. They're better educated. They have brought more racial and ethnic diversity to the American culture than any other generation. Thank you, Gen Xers or millennials. And millennial women like Gen X women are more likely to participate in the nation's workforce than previous generations. They typically delay, forego, delay getting married and starting the families. A lot of them typically will kind of hang out at home a little longer than previous generations. Don't say anything, Gen Xers. <laughs> but whatever your view is, these are, the, these, are, these are people who are leading today. These are our leaders. They grew up with terrorism. It was everywhere. Terrorism was a defining issue in the life of a millennial. You know, 9-11, all the different things are going on there. School shootings. That's, you know, that, that affects a generation. So, news sources change with millennials. Rather than getting their news from the news sources, like some of the older generations, they just listen to comedians. Because they know everything about the news. <laughs> But anyhow, uh, the only, one of the differences that people have sometimes about the millennials is they grew up in a time where there wasn't a great struggle. Some of the other generations, there was a lot of great struggle, struggles. But millennials are considered the most independent workers of all workers due to their independent nature. They're not as interested in teamwork as other generations because they just, they're entrepreneurial. They're leaders. They, they, they're self-starters. They get things done. They don't need a whole lot of hand-holding. They can just do it. They can research it and then get it done. Way to go, millennials. So we have a great opportunity to, to guide every generation, all leaders. Let's talk about Gen Zers. That's born 1997 to the present. Got any Gen Zers? I'll just come down here and talk to you guys. It's okay. I got one here. I'm all right. It's the newest generation called Gen Z. They've been called a lot of different names, like every generation they have nicknames. I get that. <clears throat> but they were born from 1997 to now. They stepped into a very politically divided world. I mean, really. They went from Barack Obama to Donald Trump. And I mean, I'm not talking about, I'm just saying that there's, it was, it, that's an indication of just how divided. And, it, you know, they just, it's, they, they're uncomfortable with how things are and where things are going. They should be. There's a lot of contributing factors that give Gen Z the unsettledness, you know, from politics to everything else that's going on. Social media plays a huge part in the life of Gen Zers. We can go on and on about that. And one of the things I'll just say to, 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 to Gen Z that's really interesting, and you can't, you can't ignore this, but um, there was, um, there's some people especially those who work in the, in the tech industry, <laughs> they have some interesting things to say about that. Athena Shavara, who was actually, she works for one of the, she's one of the chief executives for Zuckerberg at uh, Facebook. She's the executive assistant. And here's what she says. She says, I'm convinced that the devil lives in our phones and is wreaking havoc with our children. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. 
when the people who actually run these tech industries are saying, and, and it's, there's articles after articles that I've read that of people who run these industries who say, we don't even want our children to have access to that stuff. Because they see, I mean, this, this generation just grows up in a very, yeah, they have access to it, but it's not all helpful. It's not all helpful. It's not all wholesome. It's not all good. It's good that they have places that they can get to and, and they can get resources from, but it's not all wholesome. And so because of that, you know, things, the things that the Gen Z deal with is identity in every way, shape, or form, from sexual identity to from everything. And it's one, it's something that previous generations never heard of. And you'll hear, I never struggled with that. I just knew. Well, they, Gen Zers don't. It's different. It's, the identity is a, it's, 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 it's a struggle. And they're immersed, they're immersed in a lot of interesting conversations. But at the same time, Gen Zers are, they're natural entrepreneurs. They are quicker at picking up developments than any other generation prior to. They can get it and they can pick it up fast. They're described as the always on generation. They're able to multitask up using five screens at once. Is anybody like me? I mean, I, one thing at a time, one conversation at a time, one thought at a time. I cannot, I'm on that, but Gen Zers know. They don't know of any other time before social media. And so they rely on technology to, to solve a lot of problems. So all that to say, there's a lot there we have to understand and that we need to understand in, a, in our church that there's a lot of different backgrounds that are represented. So what I want to do now is just really quickly, I want, to, I want you to just, I said all of that just so that we can have an understanding of how God works through generations to see the differences, to see how we all have grown up and what has shaped us and the things that we've seen. And what, and what could happen is, is it's really easy to talk about the things that are different. But what I want to do is I want to just take a second and I just want to talk about the truth between us. Because it's that truth between us that, that brings conversation, that relationships are started. And more than anything else, God wants us to recognize the truth between us in this congregation so that we can stay in relationship with them one another. It doesn't, can I just say it this way? It doesn't take any great spiritual giftings to recognize the differences. But it takes the grace of God to say, show us where the truth overlaps so that we can, so we can have true conversation. I don't ever want to alienate any, any other person, any other generation in this room just because I just want to have my own conversation about my own stuff. Let's find the place where the truth overlaps. So can we do that real quick? So let's just talk about first, the first thing is this. I mean, especially as a 58-year-old who is a boomer, you know, and, and I look behind me and I see the generations behind me. I want to stay in conversation. The church should be multi-generational. We should be working together. But number one, young leaders should find several older leaders as mentors. And Pastor Zach did a great job last week about talking about mentoring, didn't he? Go find that sermon. That was awesome. But discipleship is a truth between us. Young leaders should recognize that they do have a wisdom deficit. We just need to understand that. It's okay. We all have a lot to learn. And even from older leaders who've gone before us, learning from their experiences is, is it's, it's, it's enriching. And I'm thankful that my life has been touched by so many people who've gone before me and, and the experiences and the knowledge that I've got from them. I'm just thankful. But the best way to set up a relationship like that is just to simply ask. You'd be surprised how many people, all you got to do is say, hey, would you mind getting with, 
together with me so we just maybe sit down and have a cup of coffee? You don't even have to use the word mentor. Would it be okay if we just got together and just talked and just have conversation? Older generation, younger generation, just, and, and, but younger people, that's how it starts. You just got to ask. You just got to ask. Some of the most valued conversations I've ever had is just sitting down with somebody where it wasn't formal. It was just, we're talking and, and wisdom and life experiences just being poured into me. Number two, younger leaders would benefit from some humility. This is hard to swallow for younger generations. I get that, but it needs to be said. We need to dial down that self-confidence and pride a little bit. Part of the reason older generations don't listen is because we've come out swinging like we are the first generation to finally nail it. We figured it out. We're the Gen Zers. You know, so we come out swinging like that. The truth is, like our parents, <laughs> in about 20 years, somebody else is going to come along and say, no, we got, got some ideas about that. Let's try this. It's going to happen. And when we kind of demand those, it, it puts people on the defensive and it shuts down and it, and it shuts down conversation. And so rather than building a platform by attacking one other, each other in, from our fortified positions, let's just dial it down and have some humility and say, what can I learn? What can, I, what can, what can you show me? And I, I, now let me just say that before I say with that, let me just, that can be reversed. At times, the older generation have led kind of, a, kind of this sort of top-down experience, you know? And so sometimes we think that, hey, you know, we've, we've got this, but the Lord says, clothe yourself in humility. Let's offer respect and dignity to the leaders who've gone before us. Because the truth is, um, you know, they, maybe their methods might be different, but there's some things that they've figured out along the way. And I, th- I think sometimes the church can chase a little bit too much after relevance and use so quickly that the older generations feel useless. As if all of their hard work and all of their efforts and all of their wisdom was for nothing. So let's respect each other. Number three, older generations should realize how much they do have to give. Being generous. Most long-time experienced Christian leaders I've ever met are very open and gracious with their time and, and, and those kinds of things. But there are those, can I just say this, there are those who haven't aged so well and whose attitudes toward the younger one is one of disdain. Part of that might be because it's fueled, like I said, by feeling put aside, by feeling useless. But might be feel like you've been passed up for the next big thing that's come along. If I could say something to all of my brothers and sisters, myself included, every gray-haired person that's here. <laughs> um, we need you. We need you. I, I know that you might not hear that from the Gen Zers and the Millennials and the Gen Xers, but we need you. We need you. Your wisdom and your insight and your faithfulness needs to be imparted so that we can carry that baton to the next generation. It's absolutely important. So, the, you know, the, the truth is, can, and this is something that we all need to know as we mature into leadership, there's two ways that you can age as a Christian leader. You can age well, or you can age poorly and get prickly and less teachable and dismissive along the way. Or we can say, God, use me. I've had a lot of conversations with people over the years who have dismissed me in my leadership, and it's just, but I think those few people are fewer and far between. I believe that God... There, there's leaders in this church who love to pour in and would love to share their life. 
Number four, all generations should get a better grasp on history, God's story. One of the things that plagues conversation, I think, is that this kind of this thin grasp on our history. And that is that, you know, I can't tell you how many conversations have started with this whole idea that this is as bad. This is bad. It's never been this bad. It's never been this bad. And can I just tell you, (laughs) breaking news, it's been bad. This is not the first time it's ever been this bad. It's been bad a long time and at different times. And so it it happens. We just need to settle down and, 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 and understand that we're not the first generation that has face the the challenges that you're facing. So Gen Zers, I know you got it. Millennials, I get it. But you're not the first generation that's experiencing difficulties like that. And so, you know, that's that's the nice thing of having a 2,000-year history of God's people is that we know that through all of this, we've seen God, he can step in on every one of those generations. And where where sin abounds, grace abounds more. All generations, number five, and I'm really trying to wrap this up fast. All generations can work together in unity. I wish I could declare a moratorium on the attacks against the church by the church. I wish I could do that. I won't say, but some of my least favorite musicians are musicians who like to write songs about how stupid and broken and messed up the church is. I turn them off. I get it. There are things that we are, but you know what? We are the bride. You start criticizing my wife and I'm done talking to you. I don't want to hear anything you have to say if you're criticizing my wife. See you later. This is the bride of Christ. We are still his bride. And who are we to criticize his bride? Amen? So we don't need, so this, we need to say this is a church, this is a safe place where we don't attack each other. We don't attack generations. We don't poke at each other. We don't make fun of each other's weaknesses and the things that we grew up with. This is a place of unity. The Holy Spirit, and that's why the word of God says, make every effort for that kind of unity. It begins by respecting each other, by listening, listening to one another. So I, I, I do, I dream of a church where we, that looks just like where we labor side by side in the kingdom of God. Truly understanding, having conversation, understanding each other. Our way of doing church, you know, and laying those things aside and just knowing that to build a church that looks like Jesus, that values every age and every stage. That's what we need. That's what I long for. That's what I believe you look for. So we're going to close this morning. And I want you to think about something as we close and we sing this song that I think most of us are very familiar with. It's a song that's called The Blessing. And it's a great song because it really captures a sense of God's heart for every generation. I like that. But I'm going to ask you to think about this. And the only way that I know to say this is, if you were, if I called you right now, I'm not going to do this, said, Jeff Ryder, I need you to come up here to this mic. And I need you to gather up every bit of faith that you have, Jeff. And I want you to prophesy over Gen Zers, the word of the Lord. I want you to hear the heart of God. What is he saying about the Gen Zers? If I asked you, Abigail Putman, to come up here and I said, Abigail, I need you to speak a prophetic word over our boomers. What is the word of the Lord saying to our boomers? And I need you to declare with every bit of faith that you have what the word of God is for them. And I just, 
called you up and, and I asked you to muster up that selfless faith that says, I can declare, I can speak a prophetic word. That's where things begin to happen. When we, when we declare and we hear the mind of the Lord and we speak that and declare that prophetically, that's when those truths and those lies can be, or those lies can be broken down and the purpose of God can be manifest in this church. And so that's, that, I think that's, I'm asking you to kind of use that as an exercise in prayer for those intercessors. Stop. God, what are you saying to the Gen Zers in our church or the millennials? Give me a word for them. Let me declare that in my prayer time. Let me, and, and, and begin to speak. When, when you're working side by side with them, it might be as, as you develop that kind of faith and that kind of prophetic vision, now when you're working side by side with people, the Lord's going to give you an opportunity to speak and declare that over that kid or that person or whoever you're with because it comes, it's born out of faith and it's already born in your heart. And man, things can happen. You talk about power being released into the church. Woo! Y'all sense that, don't you? That's where it can happen is when we really step into that kind of an anointing. And that means selflessly laying those things aside. So I, so I think that's your, your action point. Number one, bring that into prayer. But then this week, look around you. And if the Lord, the Lord allows your life to intersect with other people from another, another generation, declare a prophetic and a bold word or a word of encouragement or a word, of a, you know, a, a word that, that's life-giving to somebody that's around you of a different generation. It doesn't have to be long and lengthy. It could just be, man, I appreciate you, Builder. You really kept this country stable and dependable when we're just a mess and going all over this, the place. Thank God for the builders who have placed a foundation that's, you know, that we can build on. When everything around wants to tear it down, God bless our builders. You know, that's all, maybe that's all you need to say. But let that kind of rise up in you. So we're going to stand and we're just going to sing this song let that kind of rise up in your heart and also kind of be somewhat of a benediction as we close today, okay?